right. Um, I invite you to take your Bibles. Let's open it to the book of Ephesians, chapter 1. And let's read um, from verse 11 up until verse 14. And today we're closing our time together in Ephesians 1, verse 1 to 14, um, coming to a conclusion with this beautiful poem of praise. We have seen Paul just showing us every blessing we have in Christ, every spiritual blessing and every reason we have to give thanks to God. So let's read again from verse 11 and hear now the words of the living God. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Let's pray together. Father, we ask that you will teach us what the role and function of the Holy Spirit is in this these verses, Father. Um, pray that you will comfort the disturbed and disturbed, disturb the comfortable, that you will give true and lasting assurance to your children and save and bring people to conviction of those who don't know you. Maybe some who are self-deceived, some who think that they are saved while in reality not. Father, please help us to discern if we possess the Holy Spirit. And help us, Lord, to give you all the glory for the great work of salvation that you've done. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Beloved, one of the deadliest lies the devil can tell any true Christian is this. You are not saved. Think about how effective that one lie is. If the devil can just get you to believe that, you can believe everything the Bible says. You can believe in the Trinity, Jesus is fully God and fully man, that he is the only way to God, that he died on the cross for sinners, that he rose from the dead on the third day. You can believe that for the Christian there is forgiveness of all their sins and that they are adopted into the family of God. You can believe that Christians have a beautiful and a glorious future, which will only get better and better for all of eternity. And yet, if you just believe that you are not saved, none of that matters, right? You cannot rejoice in that. If you are struggling with assurance, then everything else is affected by that. It's really important for us to have assurance of our faith. You will think like this, oh yes, I believe in these blessings of Ephesians 1 are true, but they are not true for me, right? I believe Jesus is gracious, slow to anger, and loves to forgive sinners, except me. After the thousandth time, probably he's done, right? When you hear of these blessings, your heart wants to rejoice in them, but it's almost like it's too far because you just do not have assurance of your salvation. It's almost too good to be true because you believe, I am not saved. And that's what this last portion of Ephesians is meant to, to help you believe, to have assurance, to have absolute assurance of your salvation. That's really what God wants you to have. Um, I think sometimes... It is a mark of false humility, not, not all the times, but sometimes it's an over 
emphasis on our sin and an under-emphasis on our focus on Christ as the Savior. But what God wants you, a mature Christian has assurance. A, a mature Christian comes to that place where they can die joyfully for Christ because they know they are going to heaven. And that's what God wants for each and every one of you. If you're saved, if you're a believer in Christ, God wants you to be secure. Again, remember this last blessing focuses on the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. And it's beautiful. Remember how this poem of praise has been structured. There's a Trinitarian structure in these verses. Verses 3 to 6, all about the work of God the Father. God has chosen us before the foundation of the world, predestined us, adopted us into his family. From verse 7 to 10, we see an emphasis on the work of God the Son. In him we have redemption through his blood. And God is going to work and unite all things to him. And now in these last sessions, there's an emphasis on God the Spirit. God the Spirit takes Jew and Gentile, two enemies, makes them one. He is that bond of peace between us. He seals us and he guarantees that we will make it. Right. So from start to finish, salvation is a work of God the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit are all necessary to save you. And all three wanted to save you. Isn't that beautiful? All three persons were active in your salvation. That's how much God loves you. And so the main point Paul is making here is to show us first that once God has saved you, if you are truly saved, it really is impossible for you to lose that. It's impossible. We're going to look at that. And then at the end, we will consider the question, but how do we know that we have the Holy Spirit? How, how can we be sure if we have the Holy Spirit or not? If the Spirit is the key to give us assurance, how do we know we have the Spirit? Right? That's a very crucial question. And that's what we're going to answer at the very end. So I can see at least three reasons why it's impossible for a true Christian to lose their salvation from the text. So three reasons why it's impossible, according to this text, to lose your salvation. The first reason goes back to verse 11. And that is that for a, a true Christian, it's impossible to lose their salvation because they have been predestined by a sovereign God. That's why it's impossible. Nothing can frustrate the will of God. And if it's the will of God to save you, you will be saved. Look at verse 11. Remember, that was the whole point of verse 11. Verse 11 says, In Him, in Christ, we have obtained an inheritance having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. Again, we see the exhaustive sovereignty of God over all things placed underneath our inheritance. You will get your inheritance because God is working all things according to the counsel of his will. Nothing can stop that. So this is why Romans 8 verse 35 is so beautiful. Um, nothing can separate you from God's love because all things are under his control. Listen to Romans 8, probably the, probably the most beautiful verse in the Bible. It says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress, or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? By the way, notice he doesn't say we're not going to experience those things. But he asks, as we experience those things, are they able to separate us from the love of God? As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, 
nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. The reason why those things cannot separate you, like tribulation, danger, sword, is because those things are under His control. God works all things, including our sufferings, and that's why none of those things can rip us out of His love, out of His hand. In all of those things, God the Father has a good purpose in our lives. Life and death cannot separate you from Him because life and death is in the hand of God. No demon, no trial, no sin, no government, no suffering, nothing people do, nothing you do can rob you of your inheritance because you've been predestined by a sovereign God. That's the first reason. You should really believe true Christians cannot lose. Second reason why it's impossible for a true Christian to lose their salvation is because God has sealed us with the Holy Spirit. He sealed us with the Holy Spirit. That's what verse 13 says. Look at verse 13. It says, In Him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Remember last time we looked and said sealed means authenticate. So in the ancient world, when someone would write a letter, they would take their ring and seal the letter. And when someone saw the signet ring, they would realize this letter is the real deal. It's, it's, it's really a letter from that person. And so God gives Gentiles and Jews the same seal to show that Christians are the real deal. Okay? You don't have to be circumcised to become part of God's people. You have, you've received the Spirit, and that's why you are a true Christian. But there's another nuance to this word sealing. It's not just to authenticate, but also to secure, to keep safe. Listen to Esther 8 verse 8. Esther 8 verse 8. It says, But you may, you may write as you please with regard to the Jews, this is the king speaking to Esther, in the name of the king, and seal it, with the king's ring for an edict written in the name of the king and sealed of the king's ring cannot be revoked see so the another concept that sealing communicates is that it is absolutely secure it cannot be revoked it cannot be taken back when it's sealed it's a done deal once that seal was on the document it was official in the name of the king and that's the picture of our salvation when god seals you with the holy spirit it's a done deal when he's put his seal on you, your salvation cannot be revoked. You can use the same language. It cannot be lost. It cannot be taken away from you. The Spirit is yours and yours forever. That's good news. That is really, really good news. If you have the Holy Spirit, you may be sure that you're not just saved today, but that you will be saved forever. And here's the third reason, the last reason, why the true Christian can never lose his or her salvation. It's because the Spirit is a down payment. A down payment for the day of redemption. A down payment, or you could even say a deposit for the day of redemption. That's verse 14. He, Paul shifts the illustration a little bit, and he look at verse 14, he says, The Spirit is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of His glory. So ESV says guarantee, which communicates the idea quite well, but that's why it's helpful to read it in multiple translations. The King James says the Spirit is the earnest, the earnest of our inheritance. But I think the Net Bible, okay, so you'll notice that I always go back to the Net. So just get a Net Bible and you'll 99% of the time the translation will be good, okay? 
I think the net gives the best translation. It says, the spirit is the down payment of our inheritance. That's what the Greek literally means. It's a financial term. If you wanted to buy something, you don't have all the money, you would give a pledge or a down payment or a deposit as proof that you are going to pay or you at least intend to pay the full payment later, right? But here's the difference between us and God. We often make a deposit, put a down payment, but we often don't complete the, the payment, right? We struggle. Sometimes circumstances happen. But God is not like us. When God gives a deposit, when he gives the down payment, he will complete it. Because he has infinite resources and nothing can frustrate his will. So if the Holy Spirit is the deposit, you may be sure that you're going to receive full payment. Now, here's the question. If, if the Spirit is a deposit or the down payment, what is the full payment? How does that full payment look like, right? Isn't this already amazing? Like, what could be fuller or what could be more complete than the Holy Spirit? indwelling us and the answer is the holy spirit now is a foretaste of being with god in the future remember jesus's name is emmanuel god with us the spirit is god in us and one day we will be with god in his presence in his fullness without sin without anything that can hinder us to love god fully we will be fully redeemed and that's why the rest of the verse says he is the guarantee of our inheritance. Again, I think the Net Bible translated the base when it says, until the redemption of God's own possession. Until the redemption of God's own possession. The Greek word redemption is found in this verse. So the ESV, I think the ESV has missed it a little bit here. Um, the same Greek word that used in, is used in verse 7 that says, in him... We have redemption is used in verse 14. That the Spirit is the guarantee of our redemption, of God's possession. So we've already been redeemed, but we are going to be redeemed as well. Right? Our bodies will be redeemed from all physical weaknesses and sicknesses and ultimately from sin. One day we will receive full payment, the full redemption. And that's what chapter 4 verse 30. I think 4 verse 30 is the best way to understand 114. Look at 4 verse 30. It says, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for what? For the day of redemption. So the sealing of God is a sealing for a future inheritance, for the day of redemption. And that's our redemption. That's when we will receive glorified bodies and when Jesus will raise us from the dead to live on a new heaven and a new earth for all of eternity. So to put it another way, verse 7, we have been redeemed from the penalty and the power of sin. But in verse 14, we will be redeemed from the presence of sin. So now we already experience the, the freedom from the penalty and the power of sin as we put our sin to death by the Spirit. But one day we will even experience being free from the presence of sin, not even sinning at all. It, it's really unimaginable to imagine going a day without sinning. But that will be our eternities. We will be God's possession forever and ever. He will be our God and we will be his people. So that deposit of the Spirit is a foretaste of what is to come. Now, here is the million dollar question. 
how do we know we have the Holy Spirit? Okay. So all of this, again, you might be clapping hands in your heart, be like, but I can't really reach out to that because how do I know I have him? If the Holy Spirit is the ultimate proof that you, you are saved and secure, then we need to know how do we know we have him. So let, let's first consider what are some signs that does not necessarily mean you have the Holy Spirit. Because there's a lot of confusion today which people think that if I have these signs, that's ultimate proof that I have the Spirit. But the Bible says no. So just want to say some of these things might be present in your life, but they are not infallible proof that you have the Holy Spirit. And the first one is miracles. Miracles, doing miracles, is not a sign necessarily that you have the Holy Spirit. Remember that frightful words of Jesus on, in Matthew 7. What will so many people say to him? Listen to Matthew 7 verse 21. It says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. R.C. Sproul pointed out that whenever in the Bible something is repeated, like Lord, Lord, it indicates a personal knowledge of and relationship with that person. So this, these people that said, Lord, Lord, really believed that they had an intimate personal relationship with Jesus. Isn't that scary? That's what they thought. They really, really thought that they were saved. But on what did they base that on? What was for them the ultimate proof that they were saved? Did we not prophesy, cast out demons, do many mighty works? Lord, look at the miracles. Surely, how, how could we have done this without you, without the Holy Spirit? Surely we must have been saved. And yet that wasn't the proof. That wasn't the proof. Jesus says, I never knew you. Not, I knew you while you were doing the miracles and then you fell away. It was not one day we had a relationship. Not one day. So don't confuse miracles with as the infallible sign that you have the Spirit. So that's the first thing we need to be aware of. Secondly, being emotionally excited about the Bible is not an infallible sign that you are saved, that you have the Holy Spirit. Again, another scary thing we need to think about, right? Remember the parable of the sower. There were seeds sown on the rocky ground, and Jesus says this about these seeds. Matthew 13, verse 20, it says, As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Wow, that, that sounds like somebody that's saved, right? They hear the word and there's an emotional reaction to the word. But then Jesus continues in verse 21. What does he say? Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation and persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. So there's a lot of emotion, but there's no real commitment and love and submission to Christ. They're not real disciples, right? It's like, almost like the crowd that is very excited for Jesus multiplying the bread. And when Jesus says, I am the bread, they, they walk away. They want more bread. They want more things God can do for them instead of loving God for who he is, loving Christ for who he is. 
again, I want to say being emotionally excited about the Bible is a sign of a true Christian, right? So I'm not saying don't be excited about the Bible, right? So I'm not saying the opposite, but that's not necessarily a sign. That's, that's the point I wanted to make. That's not the infallible proof. Don't base your, your assurance on, but I'm always excited when I hear the Bible. That's not a, an ultimate sign. There needs to be something more. And here's the last one. The last one that we need to just be aware of is an external act or decision to follow Christ. An external act to follow Christ is not necessarily a sign that you are saved or that you have the Holy Spirit. One example in the Bible is sufficient. Judas Iscariot. Right? With the twelves, has decided to follow Jesus. But he wasn't saved. Didn't love Jesus. But he decided to, to follow him. He heard the same sermons, did the same miracles, but he wasn't saved. Like Judas, I think many will say, but I prayed a prayer when I was young. It, my signature is in my Bible. My signature is right there, and that's the age, and that's the time. I, I, I made an external decision, Lord, so I must be saved. I must be in, right? I've raised my hand in church, so surely I must be saved. I've been baptized. I belong to a church. Lord, I, that's proof, right? Again, all true Christians might have done those things, but they are not the infallible sign that you are saved. There's something more. So, so the, the thing we need to just ask ourselves is to search your own heart. Don't be deceived. These three things do not indicate that you are a child of God or that you possess the Spirit. Miracles, emotions, or external acts alone do not prove that you have the Spirit. So what then does prove that? What what can we look to to say these things are the true work of the Spirit? And let me give you at least four. I think there are many. Okay, so I think there might be many, many true signs and true works of the Spirit. But here's at least four signs or of a true work of the Spirit. First, you will have a genuine new love for Jesus. A genuine love for Jesus, for Him. Or as one of my friends have said, that there will be a change in your allegiance to sin, from sin to Jesus. You'll be, you'll be devoted to him. Jesus becomes glorious to you. You will love him from the heart. You view him not just as an interesting figure, as a miracle vending machine, but as your savior, as your Lord. He is your highest and your greatest treasure on earth. You really love him. Now, not loving him perfectly, right? None of us love Christ perfectly. None of us do that. But there's, there's love. There's genuine love for him. <clears throat> That's exactly the Spirit's work. The Spirit draws attention to Christ. John 16 verse 14 simply says, He will glorify me. The Spirit draws attention to to Christ. That's what the blaspheming of the Holy Spirit is when you reject Christ. When the Spirit points all the arrows to Christ, He shows you He's the Messiah, and you say, no, I don't want Him. It's blaspheming the Spirit because it's the Spirit's work to point you to Jesus. And listen to 1 Corinthians 12 verse 3. It says, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit okay, of God ever says, Jesus is the curse. No one says that. And no one can say 
Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. So see, Paul says it's impossible to have a low view of Jesus and have the Holy Spirit at the same time. Like, it's impossible. If you deny that Jesus is God, you don't have the Holy Spirit. Because the Spirit points you to who he is. He is God. He is glorious. He is Lord. Someone who has the Spirit cannot curse Jesus in a permanent sense, right? So we're thinking of Peter probably denying the Lord three times, but he repented. So it cannot be the, the ultimate proof or the state of your life. I mean, Paul says you, cannot, you can only say Jesus is Lord in the Spirit. He means that when you have love and affection for Jesus as your Lord, that's the sign. That's the proof. You have the Spirit in you. So the simple question is, do you really love him? Do you love him? Because nobody loves him apart from the Spirit. <laughs> it's impossible to love him without the Holy Spirit. I'm not asking if you belong to a church. I'm not asking if you pray. I'm not asking if you read your Bible. I'm asking, do you love Jesus? Do you love him? That's the question I want to ask you. That's the first, and I would say the most important sign that you have the Holy Spirit. A true work of the Spirit is a true love for Christ. The second sign, sure sign of a true work of the Spirit is that you will have a new love for holiness. A new love for holiness. And not, not just a new love for Christ, but a new love for holiness. Your relationship to sin drastically change when you are saved. This is something that we sometimes overlook, but the Spirit is called the Holy Spirit. Right? It's, it's in His name. Okay? So, and since He's holy, He will lead you to holiness. Listen to Romans 8. Romans 8 verse 12. It says, So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. And then verse 14 says, For all who are led by the Spirit of God, are sons of God. Paul says if you are led by the Spirit, that's proof that you are sons of God, that you are a, a child of God. But led into what? Led in what way? Well, just the verse above. It says if you put to death the deeds of the body by the Spirit. That's how the Spirit leads us, to kill your sin. The Spirit makes us very good at killing sin when we use the sword of the Spirit. We become sin killers, right? And what I mean by sin killers is your own sin, okay? Not other people's sins. Your own sin, your own sin, the Spirit helps you. 1 John 1 verse 5 again says essentially the same thing. This is the message we have heard from Him and proclaim to you that God is light and in Him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with Him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. So, your confession doesn't prove anything. To say you have fellowship with God while you walk in darkness, you live a life of sin, you live a life of reject, rejecting God, the Lordship of Christ, submitting to His Word, the Bible says you're lying. Or to put it positively, that's negatively, positively, you will be holy by bearing the fruit of the Spirit. Right? Galatians 5 verse 22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, Joy, peace, patience. Notice it doesn't say speaking in tongues, raising the dead. <laughs> okay. It's being patient. Have you, like that moment, you're patient with somebody that's really testing your, that's the spirit working in you. That moment you have peace in your heart with God, that is the spirit. 
The moment you are faithful, when you are tempted to be unfaithful, that's the Spirit. You see, true fruit of the Spirit is an ordinary Christian life lived well, lived to the glory of God. Self-control. And these things will be yours in an ever-increasing way. So again, none of us have perfect love, perfect joy, perfect peace, right? All of us are growing, but are you growing? Are you becoming more like Christ? Are you a more patient person than last year? Are you a more self-controlled person than last year, right? Or two years? I'm scared to put a time on it because I think true Christians can fall in a state of sinfulness, but is the the line going up (laughs) from the day you were saved up until now? So that's the question. Are you killing sin? Are you making war with your sin? Do you hate your sin? And do you love holiness? Do you desire holiness? Do you desire to grow in Christ-likeness? That's the work of the Spirit. That's the true work of the Spirit. So not only will you have a new love for Jesus or a new love for holiness, here's a third evidence of the work of the Spirit. You will have a new love for God's Word. You'll have a new love for God's Word. You will come to love the Bible. You will have a new appetite for the Bible, a new desire to read it. Now, this is different from just being emotionally excited about the Bible. Rather, you become a doer of the Bible. Okay, so even Jesus' words, he says, not those who says, Lord, Lord, but those who do the will of my Father. They are the ones who were saved. And James 1 verse 22 says the same thing. It says, be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. I think many people deceive themselves because they hear the Bible, they know what God says, but they don't do it. They don't live it out, so they're deceived. They think they are saved while they are not. They're not practicing what the Bible says. So James says, if you're just listening, you are deceiving yourself. We know this is a true sign of the Spirit, again, because not only is He the Holy Spirit, but He has inspired the Word. The Word of God is inspired by the Spirit, and the sword of the Spirit is called the word of God. So where will the Spirit lead you? To the Word, to the Bible. Second Peter 1 verse 20 says, Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. No prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So a simple question again. Do you love this book? Now, I've heard Michael say this many times on He says, that doesn't necessarily mean you have to love reading, okay? Some of us don't like reading, okay? But God spoke to us in a book. So how slow you read and how painfully it might be to you to read, do you love this book? Because you have to read or you have to at least listen to it, right? You have to at least, you have to take it in. Have you tasted and seen that the Lord is good in this book and through this book? Showing you Christ, showing you his great love for you. Here's the last one. So, new love for Jesus, new love for holiness, new love for the Bible, but a true work of the Spirit will also produce in you a new love for true Christians, for other Christians, other believers. Paul knew that the believers in Ephesus were saved. One of the evidences that he knew they were saved is in verse 15. Just just glance over at verse 15. It says, For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus, and your love toward all the saints. I have not ceased to pray for you. So Paul says, that's, I could see your love for one another. That's how I know you're saved. That's how I could see 
that you have the Holy Spirit in you. There's a desire to be together. There's a desire to be a family, a Christian family together. Again, that's not natural. We don't naturally want that. Jesus said in John 13 verse 35, By this all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another, if there's love for one another. And the one another there is Christians, other disciples, other disciples. If you have love for other disciples, that's how the world will know that you are my disciples. 1 John 4 verse 8, anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. So again, practical question to ask, do you love other Christians? Do you feel more at home with people who are not Christians than with people that are Christians? It's a big question, right? Test yourself, do you truly love? Have you noticed what is the key word that runs through all of the evidence? Okay. It's love. 1 John 4, 19. It's the only way we can love is we love because he first loved us. That's the, that's the ultimate evidence that you are saved, that you have the Spirit, is you will have a genuine love, no matter how imperfect, no matter how weak that love is, for God and for his people. And for the lost, for those outside as well. Love God, love your neighbor. That's the will of God. That's the ultimate proof that the Spirit lives in you. So where do you stand? Do you possess the Holy Spirit? Is He working in you? If I were to look at the last couple of weeks that you've lived, will it describe someone who loves Jesus, who, who desires holiness, who fights his sin, no matter how unsuccessful you might be at doing that. But are you fighting? Do you love holiness? Do you desire God's word? And do you love other believers? If yes, beloved, rejoice. Rest. You are the workmanship of God. And he is going to complete that work of art. He is busy with, okay? That's chapter 2, verse 10. We're going to get there as well. We are his workmanship. Now, maybe some of you have been listening and say, but I fail, fail, fail. I, I'm, I don't think I have the Holy Spirit. What now? Well, here's the mistake I think we can make with this. Okay, so as some of us hear the test, we, some of us might be tempted with, okay, from now on, I'm going to really love the Bible. From now on, I'm going to love the church. I'm going to love that Christian. Although there's nothing in me that wants to love that Christian, I'm going to work hard. What are we doing? We're trying to save ourselves. These tests were not ways to get into heaven. These are how to be saved. These tests are what saved people do. It's the result of salvation. You see the difference there? We're not saved by trying harder. You're not saved by what you do, but what Christ did for you fully and completely on the cross. He alone can save you, forgive you, cleanse you, redeem you, give you a heart of love for God and for others and for His Word. Only He can do that. So how do you receive the Holy Spirit if you don't have it? Verse 13 gives us the answer. Have you, have you remember? Verse 13 says, In Him you also... When you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, in Christ, you were sealed with the promised 
Holy Spirit. You get the Spirit by believing in Jesus. That, that's it. <laughs> Nothing more. John the Baptist came to baptize with water, but Jesus comes to baptize with the Holy Spirit. It's He who gives us the Spirit. So that's what you must do. Hear the gospel. All of you can hear, I think, right? And believe in Christ. Put your complete trust in Jesus alone. And as you do that, the moment you do that, you receive the Spirit by grace, as a gift. By nothing you do, but by everything that Christ did. And this is the gospel. This is the good news. Jesus loves sinners like you. He came for sinners. Not for good people, not for people who have it together, people who deserve only God's judgment. Those are the type of people he came for. The outcast, the sinful, the, the hopeless causes. He came for them. He loved them. He loved to forgive them. But it was the self-righteous. It was those who thought that they were good, that they were, they were perfect without sin. Those were the ones that were rejected by Christ. Because a healthy person doesn't need a doctor. A sick person does. So if you realize you're sick, rejoice. If you realize you are poor in spirit, blessed are the poor in spirit. For to them belong the kingdom of God. Blessed are you if you see your sin because now you can see the Savior for who He is. So here's the simple truth. Wherever you are on the saved spectrum, unsaved or saved, right? Or somewhere in between there, what you need to do is the same thing. Whether you are saved or unsaved, you have to do the same thing. And that is look to Christ. Look to Him alone. Like the thief on the cross or the robber or the, the murderer on the cross. What did he do? He just looked to Christ. He says, think about me, Lord, when you enter into your kingdom. He didn't go and perform work, years of repentance, years of work. What did Jesus say to him? Today, you will be with me in paradise. That's what you must do. Christ is gracious, all-sufficient, all-powerful, and he loves sinners. He loves, loves them. So trust him. Come to him. Come now. And you will be saved. And if you are saved, he will give you the Spirit again in fullness and power. Realize that the Spirit in you is that seal of God, the down payment of God, that God will finish the good work that he began in you. He is faithful. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, thank you, Lord, for your great, great work of salvation. Father, thank you for choosing us, for adopting us. Lord Jesus, thank you for dying for us, redeeming us, forgiving us, lavishing us with your grace, grace upon grace upon grace. Holy Spirit, thank you for sealing us, for being the down payment of our future redemption that is coming. Lord, I pray for um, Christians who struggle with their assurance that they will find rest in your love, in your promises. I pray that for every one look we give to ourselves, that we would look ten times more to Christ 
and to him alone. Father, strengthen your people's faith. Strengthen our faith that we will stand on your promises, stand assured so that we can walk out in obedience and die and give our lives away for the good of others. Father, I pray for those who might be self-deceived that you will please show them. Please help them to humble themselves, to see the true state of their hearts. But again, Lord, to do the same thing that believers must do, and that is to look to Christ, to turn their eyes then away from their sickness, their poverty, their nakedness, and to look to Jesus, the only Savior. Father, we give ourselves to you. We thank you for this evening and our time together. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.